Y'all, Stages is now sponsored by BetterHelp, and I couldn't be more excited because I love therapy. So I encourage you, if you've had a tough year and a half, <laughs> why don't you give them a shot? You can find a therapist that you can connect with. Their resource is thousands of therapists, well-trained and experienced. You can keep looking until you find someone that you click with. They have customized online therapy. They do offer videos, but they also offer phone and live chat sessions. So you don't even have to be seen. You can only be heard. What are you waiting for? Go to BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P.com slash stages. And for our cast members, you get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash stages. Go, go, go. Go find your healing. Go find your happy. Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P. Hi, I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. Welcome to Stages Podcast, where we're bringing creation and connection to center stage. You're kind of a trope in our house. When you and I were working together, I had just met my husband right? We weren't, we were dating and I had a psychic tell me that I was going to marry him. So of course I go back to the theater and I'm like telling you and Jordan, I'm like, Oh, I'm getting married to this guy. And and the psychic told me and everything. But Michael came to the theater one night and at the end of the show, you walked up to him and you were like, congratulations. And he had no idea because I didn't tell him he was going to marry me. So, (laughs) so, so he was like, Thank you. And you were like, what a wonderful girl. Couldn't be happier for you. And he was thinking, wow, I'm getting all this congratulations just for dating Mary Lee. She must be pretty amazing. So I, he asked me about it. I just kind of blew it off. Humana, so then, humana, we, humana, then we got engaged. And I said, remember when Danny congratulated you? It's because I had told him that the psychic said we were getting married. He was like, Danny knew I was getting married before I knew I was getting married. I said, Danny knew, the stagehands knew, all the entire exactly. cast, everybody knew except you. And he's like, great. So now when something happens, I'll be like, oh, my gosh, guess what? And he's like, does Danny know? Does Danny know first? (laughs) That's funny. Tell him yes, I know. Today's guest has been working in this business for 38 years as an actor. He's been in 18 Broadway shows and received seven Tony nominations for his work in The Drowsy Chaperone, South Pacific, Cabaret, Follies, Golden Boy, and Fiddler on the Roof. He won the 2020 Tony Award for Best Featured Actor in a Musical for his performance as Harold Zidler in Moulin Rouge. His work in theater, television, voiceover and film is extensive. So listeners, please welcome Danny Burstein. Danny Burstein to stage, please. Danny, please come to stage. Welcome, Danny. Yay, great to be here. Thank you. Morning, how's it going? We're good. How are you? I'm good. I'm tired. You know, the schedule is crazy and I bet. Yeah. Well, we're grateful, grateful for your time. Has your body a little bit been in shock? Like what is this eight shows a week again? Yeah, it's insane. And <clears throat> kids who are in the show who are 30 years younger than me are going, Jesus, this is hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just wait. That's, that's how I felt when I would go into rehearsals and it would be 
10 a.m., you know, everybody's complaining, oh, there's just not enough coffee. I'm just exhausted when I've been up since 4.50. And I was like, son of a biscuit, if you say that one more time. Yeah. Oh, Danny. Okay, my first question, and this is hard-hitting reporting. How often uh, is your last name pronounced Bernstein? And does the little voice inside of you want to just scream every time that happens? Well, I had to let that go a long time ago. <laughs> because, yes, I mean, even dear friends, Friends, you know, call me Bernstein sometimes or Burston, like Ellen oh, Burston. Burston. Oh, Burston. Yeah, I get that a lot too. And but do you just have to kind of let go and let God with a lot of things in your life? Because like in my notes, I wrote a true gentleman and I capitalized gentle. The way you present yourself is an example for everyone, not just in our industry, but everyone Every time I'm in your space, there is centeredness, there's calm, there's gentle, there's kindness. And after 38 years in this business, how does one maintain that? But I want to add one word to that list, which is gratitude. Mm -hmm. You always seem very humble and full of gratitude Mm -hmm. for everything. Well, this is going to sound like like a sob story a little, but uh, I've had a very kind of, uh, I don't talk about all the things that have happened in my life and there I've had a very difficult kind of life you know mm. off stage and there's been a lot that's gone on deaths and you know all kinds of craziness I think the only thing that's gotten me through is this feeling that there's a greater good there's a reason that we're here and it's to do good things and mm. to be kind to one another and to love one another and uh, it's it's kind of as simple as that. And, and the only thing that's gotten me through the, 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 the most difficult time of all with Rebecca most recently, of course, uh, was gratitude. As you said, Mary Lee, that's it. I mean, otherwise you could, you know, get very sad and wallow in that. And you just you just can't. You know, you have to allow yourself to have emotions whenever you feel them. Mm-hmm. But the the best part about being able to pull through is, as you said, gratitude. That has made everything, uh, that has put a new perspective on everything. Was that instilled in you by your well, mother, by a relative? My, by... my parents are strong people. They're still around. They're still, they still live in Queens uh, and uh, in the same house that, I, for the most part, that I grew up in. Yeah, they're both teachers and they're great people. Uh, my dad teaches ancient Greek philosophy at Queens College and my mother teaches painting uh, at senior citizen centers. Uh, you know, I and, think and, when you're surrounded by philosophers, you do yeah. learn to to think in a different way. You yeah. put things in a different perspective. My father-in-law was a philosophy teacher as well. Oh, really? And oh. it, it's always interesting to hear the way my husband puts things into a different perspective because of that upbringing, because he was raised with this upbringing that looked at things from all different angles. And you just carry that into your world. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I try to. I really do. And after after craziness, after surviving COVID and being in the hospital with everybody around me, you know, literally dying, literally dying all around me. I thought, well, I'm just happy to be anywhere. Truly. You know, I mean, but I'm absolutely normal and I have good days and bad days like everybody else. And, you know, you get pissed off and and then you're, you're you feel great. And as far as work goes, I love going to work every day. I love it. I love walking in and saying hey to the doorman and high-fiving the stagehands and, and talking to the cast beforehand. And it just makes me so damn happy. 
to and it shows. Do it totally shows. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So shows. that that's part of it. I think. I think I did an interview recently with Paul Wontorek, and we were right above Times Square, and we were talking about the fact that I went to the High School of Performing Arts right down the block over there for four years. I spent the uh, you know four years in that neighborhood when it was all porn theaters, and, right. uh, and it was just crazy. And it's so, but it was so wonderful and alive and. I couldn't believe that maybe I would get a chance to work in this business. And all those kinds of dreams came true. And all I wanted to do when I was that age was to be able to work and have a normal life like my parents. I wanted to have a, a, a house, a, a family, a car, you know, all <laughs> those kinds of normal things that other people had. That if I were a plumber, I would have. So that's that's all that I ever wanted. And you know, I got very lucky. You were raised in a in a Latin household, is that correct? Uh, my mother is. My mother came here when she was seventeen from Costa Rica. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All Spanish three is my first language, actually. Yeah, same uh, with but, same with Seb. Yeah. yeah, but you know, I don't really. I you know, I'm out of practice. But you know, when I go there, I took my family to Costa Rica um, years ago. Like, I don't know, 10 years ago, we went and took the boys and and uh, I was like, oh, God, you know, I tried to bone up on my Spanish a little bit. But when I, I about after about a week, I was having full on conversations with cab drivers mm-hmm. yeah. and, you know, Becca was in the back of the car going, honey, honey <laughs> what, what are you saying? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? <laughs> yeah. Okay, and my very- dad is uh, was raised Jewish. She was raised Catholic. And he was raised Jewish. So it was a, an interesting household. Yeah. But faith based. Yeah. 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 Well, they both they both, you know, uh, were raised in those religions. I was not raised religious in any particular way. They were like, here is the world. And uh, and you can, you know. What you great know, parents. I mean, that's amazing. Whatever you want, whatever you believe in. Yeah. yeah. My my older brother is married to a Catholic woman and. And they live in the Midwest. He's the uh, um, head of security for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. And, oh, gosh. Uh, and so, yeah. So, uh, you know, he converted to Catholicism and uh, is very happy doing that. My younger brother is not particularly religious. Um, and I'm more spiritual than anything else. When did the love of acting hit you? Obviously, it was really young when you were in high school. I was very young, yeah. But how? Did your parents bring you into Broadway shows all the time? No, no. My dad, you know, as I said, they're both teachers. And my dad kept giving me books to read. Um, You know, it didn't help that they were like the Iliad and I was seven. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know. That'll grab (laughs) you. Yeah, that ain't green eggs and ham. Exactly. And I, I just didn't connect to them. I just couldn't. My my, I couldn't focus on them for more than, you know, whatever, 40 pages. And then I go, oh, I can't. Then he handed me a play and that started it off. And I, all of a sudden I had, I understood the, the dialogue form. I loved that they were bantering back and forth. Mm-hmm. It sounded like, like real life. Could your imagination also grasp like stage direction? Did it put you in that place in time when you were reading? Yeah, all those things. All those things. And I just I just loved it. And um, so I started reading plays and that was my escape. 
I just loved it. Do you write, Danny? Do you ever write plays? I've never written a play, but I, I've started a couple. Of I would I've think never. so, because all yeah. of your op-eds have been so personal. Did that hurt when you were writing or was it cathartic for you? I didn't, you know, I, I, my first, the first thing from the Hollywood reporter was about just my experience with COVID. I came back and was talking to several friends and one of them was the playwright, Sarah Rule. And she mm-hmm. said, write it down, write it down. You should write everything that you just, just so you don't forget. And I thought, okay, you know, maybe I'll, I wrote it down. So I wrote it down as if I were, you know, telling it to a friend and I sent it to her and she said, well, this is lo- lovely. You know, I, I, I'm part of a website and, you know, it's an arts website. You think maybe we could uh, publish it? I said, uh, I didn't write it for that, but you can, you can, if you think. So they, they ran it by the editor of the website and the editor uh, wrote to me and said, great would you mind making these changes and putting in and edit this? And maybe we're going to take out about 200 words. And I went, no, no, I didn't write it to be published. So I said, thank you very much. And, and so I thought, okay, well, uh, I'm glad Sarah liked it. And I, and I'm just going to send it to a few more friends just to let them know what the hell I had just been through. Uh, another friend went, I'm sending this to so-and-so, you know, and, and the next thing I know, David Rooney from The Hollywood Reporter, the editor there, was wrote me and said, I'd love to publish this just mm-hmm. as it is, if, if that's all right. And I went, OK. And the second one, uh, he actually asked me, uh, he's asked me three months later. So I'm getting all these letters. Can you write something about how you're doing now? And I wrote the second one going, well, I don't know how I'm doing now, really. That's the truth. I have, you know, I had long term COVID issues and that was difficult and also difficult dealing, taking care of Becca at the same time. And the third one I wrote was about Rebecca and that just needed to come out. Seems like you have a very close relationship with your boys. I love that you took one of them to the to the Tony's yeah. Awards with you. I remember them when they were now, little, right? little. They're grown people. They are yeah. grown people. Well, my older son is doing great. He's a he's a first AD, Alex. I keep getting, you know, texts from people or emails from people. I just worked with your son on a film, and you know, it's uh, really you know lovely. My younger son Zach uh, developed schizophrenia six years ago. So uh, he's been in and out of hospitals for years, for the last six years. And we're not exactly sure where he is right now. He's homeless somewhere upstate. Oh, oh Um, my goodness. That's that's what he needed to do. He's 25 and he just uh, he's not on the proper meds. And it's, you know, mental health issues are huge huge. and and how how they're all dealt with. But, um, yeah, that's what's going on with him. And he's a great kid great kid he plays like 14 instruments writes music he's a beautiful artist i could tell you stories about all of these things uh about you know schools and and teachers and and you know how he went to the uh art students league and started drawing and taking painting classes and in two weeks the uh teachers said you you know i want you to be my assistant and he's never taken a class before he's that incredibly innately talented there's genius and in him funny yeah i mean really really just anything artistic it, that, that you know he fell into it beautifully and then and when he was 19 all of a sudden he started you know acting out and uh and it was difficult for him 
and then it's become it's gone an up and down kind of thing and uh and if he's on his meds anything is possible and if he's not um then you know unfortunately anything could happen but the thing about schizophrenia is his brain is telling him that everything he's doing is right and everything everybody else telling him is wrong Uh forgive me i don't know anything at all about schizophrenia but does he become almost paranoid where he's insulated where he just thinks so you start to make up stories that people are to get you and you can't trust oh it's way beyond that yeah, mm. it's way beyond this. He thinks that this door is a dragon sometimes. Wow. You know, and with schizophrenia, the meds that they have, it it tamps down that feeling. It doesn't make him think that's not a dragon. It he, he still thinks that's a dragon, but right. he he with the with the meds, he feels like he can deal with it. Control okay. it. That's and, how that's how, you know, it's what homeless people have in the street you know, that are screaming. And at 19, was it like a, a flip of a switch or he had shown some atypical behavior before no, he'd that? he'd never done it before. It just wow. sort of flipped a switch, yeah. Was there a traumatic catalyzing event or no? No, not was teenage hormones no. and the brain yeah. just flipped a switch? And it wow. happens a lot, yeah. Wow. Like one in six. You're uh, kidding. Wow. No. I had so no idea those were the, the odds. My I gosh. didn't either. Yeah, it's it's it is uh, an epidemic. You know, Danny, uh, I want to thank you for sharing that story because I think it's really important that we destigmatize mental health in this country. It has to be something that people can talk about. And I think in the past there's been a lot of shame associated with discussing mental health when people talk about it openly and they share their challenges the way you just did. It really is a service to others. You could really help other people uh, open up about what's going on in their own life. So I want to thank you for that. I really appreciate you sharing that story. I think back to the day when we were at the Atlantic um, Gala a lot, Mm -hmm. because that was so early. There were the rumblings and the murmurs of, you know, COVID but we were so happy and we were all gathering. We had our masks and all those people that we hugged. And what a time that was those next two, three weeks where little by little you were getting the news of, of Terrence or Adam Schlesinger and then you. And it really was like this list of people. And my mind just went, I can't, I couldn't really grasp what had taken place there shortly after. It was all so different just a week or two later. Yeah, I remember that that time, that party. I remember being there waiting. We were in like a waiting room, an anteroom kind of thing. Before yes, we the, and all the uh, hugs. And... And it was lovely, yes. And that was the last time I saw Terrence, too. I heard yeah. that Terrence was sick while I was in the hospital. And, you know, nobody knew anything about anything. And I no. knew Terrence had had, you know, issues with breathing because of his oxygen tank that he wore for a while. And I wrote immediately and i said make sure that they get him into the hospital now because this will this this illness affects your breathing right. make sure and i didn't know that he had already passed oh golly they didn't because people didn't tell me because i was in the hospital at mm-hmm. that point like march 2nd or 3rd what was the status at moulin rouge because i know your cast got hit really hard it wasn't just a couple cases it was substantial yeah it was, right? yeah, it was like 75% of the company was hit. Wow. Um, but only two of us 
only two of us were hospitalized. You're extraordinary, Danny. You're um, extraordinary in every the, way, medically uh, and otherwise. You know, you got we got a lot. There was so much misinformation going on. There was all this, all the rumblings about happening things happening in Europe, but it could never come over here and hit the states that hard because we had you know all these and medical advances that they don't have and it just snuck up on everybody in in the worst way or we weren't listening my husband went to rwanda in uh-huh. january right before everything started to really happen here yeah. and he called me and he said something's going on that we don't know about yet they were screening everyone before you went into any public building any hotel you had to go through screening they made you stop and wash your hands he's like so just be aware that if they're on top of it here something's going on because rwanda's very like on top of everything they're really great and then very shortly after it all just hit here it was naive uh, yeah of, yeah uh, and i think i think officials and I think part of the problem is we don't have a lot of faith in our government officials. We don't actually believe what we hear. Wow. But I think if 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 you have a lot of faith in what you're seeing on the TV and in the elected officials, you tend to take things more seriously. What was it like to step out on that stage again in front of your first live audience? I, w- I think I would have just stood and cried the whole time. I, I would have. I could have handled I for this. sure. Would have too. No, no. Yeah, it was it was very moving. You know, trying to you know not think about that kind of stuff and trying to think about the show and all right, this, this, the pacing for this has to be this, you know, and that, that, that little general in my brain took over. Mm-hmm. So uh, I tried to block as much of that out. Oh, it was really? only after I got off stage for the first time, I turned to somebody and I said, what happened out there? Was that, and he said, well, you, you, you got, got a 12 a, minute standing ovation. You got a standing ovation. He said on your entrance. And I said, I thought that was weird. I thought there were like things happening, but I just sort of, I took it in for a second and then barreled through and just kept going. Wow. Uh, just, just to keep the show moving, just so it made sense. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I know everybody leader. was very sweet and wanted no. to welcome you, everybody back. But I was like, but there's a show to do, you know? <laughs> right. All the characters that you've played, are you an amalgam of all of them? Part of the fun of being a character actor to me is playing different people mm-hmm. and trying to get inside their heads. And I try to make them different. The one thing you try and do, no matter who you play, is to make it honest from some place. That's the unifying thing. I mean, that's pretentious of me to say, but that's what I try to do. And then I just, I love discovering new people. I discover, you know, discovering the way they walk, the way they sound, the way they do anything, move their hands. I, I, that to me is the fun in playing, in being a character actor. And there were wonderful actors who were, you know, John Wayne was always John Wayne, you know. Right. Uh, and he was Jack wonderful Nicholson. at that. Yeah. You yeah. know, and they're great at that, you know, brilliant. But I, that's not what I ever wanted to do. So I wanted to do, play different people and really try and make them different. So that if somebody said, oh, that's the guy who played that. Yeah. You know, then I've done my job. What makes your Harold Zidler singular then when you talk about like certain walks or gestures or your sort of magic for Harold? I met Alex Timbers in a diner at 72nd Street and Broadway. And he said, you know, here, look, look this over. Look, you know, look at the script um, and uh, I'll meet you back here in a week. Look it over. And I read it and I thought, okay. This is unlike anything I've ever done before. The look, the feel, he's mm-hmm. he's kind of 
dirty and sexy and and uh, flamboyant and yet fatherly and yet very uh, and yet he's also the producer, so he's difficult on and hard on people and this huge you know this great father figure, but this of this very dysfunctional family. And I thought, oh well, this is unlike anything I've ever done before, and I could you know play with the flamboyance and play with the uh, sexiness of it and and really try and do something else. So I came back to him and I said, okay, I would love it if this happened and this happened, if we got some really crazy things and I popped out of here and popped, you know, came up through the stage and, you know, all of a sudden, boom, I was there, you know, in a puff of smoke. And he said, well, we can do some of those, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's, that's kind of what drew me to him, that the whole character, it was, it was different. Do you ever find it intimidating? Because your character, I think of um, your character in Drowsy Chaperone, too. I mean, it just seems like you're having so much fun with them and that you're literally just playing to find them. But do you ever get intimidated by trying to find some of those characters that are so large? Yeah, well, yeah, of course. Of course. But that's, I mean, that's rehearsal, too. Mm. You prepare and you prepare and you prepare and you bring all that stuff with you into rehearsal like you wear a backpack with all this information and then you walk in and you go okay all right and you start to you know listen and, and play and then you can slowly let go of the backpack because all that information is in your heart already and mm -hmm. and then you start to take over and yeah. let, and make it your own and that's the great thing about uh you know rehearsal the rehearsal period I always laugh because breaking down, everybody's like, oh my gosh, all those props and all those things and the bananas and the knives. And then I was like, and that was the Reader's Digest version of what I wrote. <laughs> of course. Of course. So are you a, a gentleman that has, are you an artist that just has ideas like coming out of every pore or do they reveal themselves to you as you go about the rehearsal process? I always come in with a lot of ideas. Yeah, okay. I do. I do. And then- I'm open to whatever I'm open to throwing them all away. I don't yeah. mind yeah. As, as if, as long as they can, as the directors uh, in the trenches with me, there yep. trying to figure it out. Yep. You no. Know? And that's, that's exciting. I years ago, I worked with the actor, Tony Randall, and uh, uh, he was a mentor to me as I was a young actor starting. And um, he was in the original production of inherit the wind. Mm -hmm. with Paul Muni, the great actor Paul Muni, and uh, who was playing Drummond. And uh, he said that every day, every day of rehearsal, Muni would come in with a different look, a different feel. Sometimes he would gray his hair, you know, do ex all these extreme things, you know, put a rock in his shoe, you know, that kind of thing. So he would walk differently and until he could pare away all the little things that didn't work and focus on the things that did. Oh, that really made me feel great in that particular moment, that that feel. To me, that's what rehearsal is for, right. to make those little discoveries along the way. And it's OK. You know, it's not failing. You know, people say it's OK to you know make mistakes or fail in rehearsal. It's not. You're just you're making right. discoveries. You're excavating. They're, they're, you're, excavating. They're, yeah. you're making they're, you're you're having revelations, you know, yeah. in the moment. You're going, oh, that was great. I'm going to hold on to that. That really felt Right. And that's the exciting thing about to me about rehearsals and trying those kinds of things and letting your mind play. Yeah, it's yeah. all to me. It's all a, a game. 
it's like a board game. It's you're you're dropped in the middle of a board game, and your job is to push the envelope, all the edges of the board game, as much as possible. Discover as much as you can, while you know keeping it as honest as possible within the realm of that world that the director and the cast has created. And you know, it, it seems to me a sin if you don't go in different directions. Mm-hmm. I was in South Pacific for two and a half years. In the last two months of the show, two months before we closed, I discovered a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> it's so stupid, but I found a laugh. Oh no, but, but I, don't you feel so yeah. triumphant when that happens? You're like, oh yeah, my God. Still growing. Yeah. 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 Do you fun. always trust your instincts regardless of your room? So you're talking about pairing away and you're not mm-hmm. married to anything per se. And you're trusting these, you've worked with incredible directors. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, is it you that gut that will tell you what is right for your character and your show? Yeah, I guess so. But I mean, that's that's the thing. I think you have to be open to changing and and the most important part of acting, you have to be ready to listen on stage every single moment. So uh, anything can happen. So your gut tells you one thing right beforehand, but then in the moment you go, that's not right. I'm going to go in this direction. You know, I'm half Jewish. So I'm always questioning <laughs> everything. You know, everything is like, is that, did I do that right? Does that, that doesn't, does that make sense? So I'm trying to always discover and, you know, make it as juicy and rich as, as possible. And, you know, and sometimes you have to break it down, especially in a long run, you, you fall into a pattern and go, oh, got to throw everything out. You know, right. as, uh, Mike Nichols said, you have to kill your babies and then you come back to square one, you That's know, right. and you have to refocus and go, okay, acting one-on-one. Today, we're just going to be listening and looking and talking and that's it and throw away all the bullshit and then just make it real as possible. That's right. In your 38 years, is there an artist that immediately comes to mind that kept you on your toes all the time, that constantly was kind of shifting and changing that you had to listen so hard because you never knew what direction or angle they might take? Oh, gosh. I've worked with so many amazing, amazing artists. Uh, impossible to to pick one. I mean, one, one master class was uh, I did a, an A.R. Gurney play off Broadway. It was basically a three-hander with uh called mrs farnsworth with sigourney weaver and john lithgow oh and my gosh wow for, uh i did it for a year um and then they came went left and came back and other people came in but that was a master class in in listening and talking and and being naughty on stage they're yeah. so naughty the two of them would just <laughs> giggle you know at the wrong places and uh, but it was just so much because we knew we were right in the pocket yeah and playing that was pretty amazing i mean john cullum when i was a kid i did oh, john yeah. Cullum, i did uh shenandoah with john cullum and i used to sit in the wing right there in one and watch him just watch him because it was like mm, i want to learn everything teach me everything and Two of my mentors, uh, of course, Tony Randall and Jack Klugman. I did a show uh, called Three Men on a Horse that George Abbott wrote a hundred years ago, almost literally. And uh, I got to do that on Broadway with them. And and I would just say, you know, I asked them once, I said, what is the, you know, because they were so good in the odd couple together. So, so good. And I said, what is the key to your success? How did you do it? And Tony went, Jack, daddy wants to know. You know, what's the key to our success? And, and Jack had had uh, throat cancer and he only mm. was working on one vocal, one vocal cord. cord. 
and and he, yet he was able to produce sound, thank God. Um, and he went, we gave it away, like that. And I thought, ah, that's beautiful. He, and 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 Tony explained, we gave it away when people would come on the show and they had exposition, they had something to say, they other characters, we let them shine. That was important to the story. And when one of us was driving the bus, we let them drive the bus and then they would reciprocate. And it was a beautiful thing. We gave it away. And that taught me about being generous on stage, that it isn't always about you. And when somebody else has the focus, you take a step down stage and let them shine. Give them the stage. And that generosity of spirit was something that never uh, occurred to me until they actually said it out loud, because it wasn't about me. It was about telling the story. And that was, I had one more thing like that when I was a kid in Summerstock. I did Fiddler on the Roof with Theodore Bikel and uh, Jay Harnick, Sheldon's brother, directed the show. And Jay was a wonderful director in his own right and ran and founded a company in New York for children called Theater Works USA. And I was playing Mendel, the rabbi's son. And, and I was like, I'd done it when I was a kid in, in a community theater. And the guy who played Mendel was like, sticky and, you know, did all these <laughs> kinds of jokes. And, and I started doing what I saw him do. And he went, no, 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 just, just say the line, just say here, you know, this is very serious actually. And I, okay. And I tried it again and I sort of did the same thing. And he went, no, 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 Danny, Danny, he's, it's a serious character actually. And I went, oh, and he went, look, dare to be disliked. Oh shit. It wasn't about me in that moment. It was about telling the story as a collective. Right. And that made all the difference in the world to me that, and I was so, oh, I was so hurt that he had said that to me, but at the same time, it was the greatest lesson yeah. Uh, ever in that moment. And I needed to hear that. Wherever he is up there, um, I'll be grateful to him forever. Do you find, Danny, that young actors come to you for the same mentorship that you received from others? Oh, sure. You know, I mean, for years we were always, I'm sure you, you both were too, we were the youngest ones in the show uh-huh. you know, for years. And, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> like that you're the oldest one in the show and we're wearing reading glasses yeah exactly (laughs) i can't even take mine off because i can't see on the computer but but when they do come to you do you love to share these kinds of things with them do you you sort of relish stepping into that role of those people that you sat in the wings and admired for so long now you're really stepping in and becoming those guys yeah i mean part of me can't believe that anyone would care what the hell I had to say about a certain subject, honestly. And, and you know, I don't because I don't take myself that seriously. But when they do, I try and, you know, fill that gap and let them know what I experienced. You realize in 38 years, you're no longer the plumber of theater. You're like a jewel in the crown of theater. How, mm. Have you embraced that? No, not at all. I mean, because... I, I, you know, I still, you know, I was just before the interview started, I was just, you know, cleaning the cat litter. (laughs) That is, you know, and, you know, it's especially now, you know, with with uh, Becca not here, Mm. that's the toughest part. You know, you're all alone and you're, you know, 
people going, oh, it's wonderful. You won the Tony Award, but you know, there's nobody to share it with. And Gosh. the whole the whole experience is bittersweet because you want to be sharing this with somebody when you get home. That way it's a, it's 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 tough. And and I, you know, so I don't embrace any of that particularly. I just go about my business and continue on and talk to friends and go out with friends and and just try and have a normal as as normal a life as possible. You know, Mary Lee, I, I think about your dad. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I think about your dad every once in a while because I remember you talking because I remember he passed away. Yeah. Uh, it might have been while we were working together. Yeah, or right it after. was. It and was. I just think about him because I never met him, but, but because of the stories you told <laughs> yeah. about him, especially one where you were where he was ill near the end and you two were sitting on a porch looking at a sunset. And, you know, and you, he looked out, out at the sunset, it was beautiful. And then he looked at you and he said, see, this is what's important, right? Yeah. Here. Oh, you're going to make me cry, Danny. Yeah. But I think about that all the time. I really do. It crosses my mind. And now it's time for the five questions. All right, Danny, if you could walk into your closet right now, is there a piece of clothing that holds sentimental value that you'll never throw away or reminds you of something or someone special gave it to you? I'll start to cry. Yeah, I have have a shirt of Rebecca's. I'm introducing a new question. Surprise, Mary. Okay. Are you you a thin crust, thick crust (laughs) dish? And what is your favorite pizza topping? Oh, gosh. Uh, uh, I've, uh, I'm a thick crust mm-hmm. and because I'm from New York, um, I, I just grew up eating that and, uh, spinach, tomatoes and sausage. Ooh, nice. Do you fold it in half like a little Sammy? Like a I sandwich? do. I fold it in half like a, yeah, yeah like a taco kind of thing. Of yeah. course. Of yeah. Course. No, no fork and knife. No, oh no. dear God. Oh no. No. <laughs> no, no. I mean, when, and you know, when at the high school of performing arts, when we were kids, we would get two slices. And put them together put and job. then fold them up like a taco. Yes. Like, it's <laughs> and the grease dripping down. Oh, yeah, New York. Oh. <laughs> All right, Danny. If you could have any ability, supernatural or not, what would it be? Um, I would I would not want I, I would not want babies to suffer. I would that's what I would oh, do. I would somehow about? make it make it that uh, babies didn't have to suffer. I love babies. I do. If I could, if I could have 20 kids, I would. I love kids. I just do. I always always loved kids. Yeah. All right. If you could go back to your um, 20 year old self, what would you say to him? Uh, What the hell were you so scared about? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it. It's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. No matter what happens and life is going to throw everything at you. But you're going to be okay. You know, at a certain point, as you get older, it seems you sort of have to make peace, you know, especially with everything that I've been through, uh, with, with your own mortality mm-hmm. and knowing that if, if I did, um, by some crazy, cause life is fickle by some crazy happenstance, I, I wasn't here tomorrow. I would have to be at peace with, uh, what's happened in my life and where I've, how far I've come and, and uh, that's helped me a lot, too, knowing that, yeah, OK, I did OK. Mm-hmm. You know, my grandpa lived to be 103 years old. 
And he was the coolest old man you ever met. And I asked him once, what do you think the key is, Grant? What, you know, why did you get where you are? And he was a very simple man. You know, he has garden, his family, that he didn't travel the world. And he said, I made it a practice to think of all the good things that people have done over the years and everything else. I just let it slip away because mm-hmm. there's no point carrying that around. So yeah. think of the good, the rest slips away. And yeah. he made it to 103 with that attitude. So, yeah. Yeah. I, it's that's valuable. I completely, completely agree. I've never, I've never been, I was in a relationship once with someone and, and she was like, don't you remember the time that you blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, I don't remember when that happened. Yeah. I don't hold on to that. We had that fight and we don't. I turned the page and I moved yeah. on. Yeah, I, I tend moved to on do and, that. And I'm sorry that you still feel bad about that. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I don't. And also, I'm sorry for whatever happened or whatever I did. I just yeah. don't. That's not my MO. It's not how I move forward. Yeah, your grandfather, I think, was, was definitely onto something. If you were a nail polish color, and I know Harold wears nail polish. Yeah. Um, what color would you be, and what would that cheeky little name be? Uh, what what color of the the what color would the polish? What would the name of yeah. the polish? Yeah, if you were the color, color and the, the color name. and the name. Wow. Well, I, I I'm so not used to wearing nail polish, uh, so I'll just say that I like my red and black uh, nail polish, Ziedler Zest. Ooh, okay. That would be it. But I, I you know. Kathy Zuber, the costume designer, wanted me to wear gloves, but I didn't like the way the gloves felt when I was swinging the cane around it. So <laughs> I said, well, what if I just paint my nails? And she went, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I said, well, red and black and red and black. And I said, it'd be kind of cool. Moulin Rouge colors. And uh, I'm, I'm sure to this day, she still doesn't want me to do that and <laughs> wants me to wear the gloves. But uh, it became a thing. It you know, is wearing, a thing. You know, the nails and... Um, sometimes I regret it. And I, because I don't know, I think like a few days into wearing nail polish, they start to feel heavy on your nails. Does anybody? Oh, okay. I don't know. I wasn't, wasn't sure if this was a thing, but it doesn't, it starts to feel slightly uncomfortable and I can't wait to the end of the week to take it off. Yeah. Cause your nails are not allowed to breathe. Uh, yes. Example. Right. Yeah. So they do, they start feeling just kind of pasty and heavy. Yeah. I know yeah. exactly the sensation you're talking about. And I yep. do a lot of other jobs, you know, I, I do TV here and there. And so I can't, you know, people, so many women are going, Oh, you just have to do the gels, you know, do the gels. <laughs> and I, I'm like, Hey, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> when I'm playing a district attorney, exactly. I literally can't. <laughs> it's exactly. I literally cannot do. Objection, that. Your Honor. <laughs> Objection. We're so grateful. Really, really grateful. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Danny. I think more people should move through the world the way that you do, giving it away. Have Thank a beautiful you day. So very much. I really appreciate it. It was Thank lovely you, to be here with you. Bye. Bye. Coming up next, what struck a chord with us right after a word from our sponsor. Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Our theme song says love where you are now, but sometimes we all need a little help. I've learned from therapy and in my yoga practice that growth comes from challenges. A good therapist can help you reframe the way you look at a challenge and your life. And BetterHelp can provide you with a therapist that gives you some tools to navigate. They offer customized online therapy, either on video or phone chat sessions. It's more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can reach a therapist in under 48 hours. 
And right now, Stages cast members get 10% off their first month with BetterHelp. So don't wait. Remember, when you support our sponsors, you support Stages Podcast. So log on to BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P dot com slash stages and love where you are now. I was uh, taking notes left and right. I mean, again, you know, when you're speaking with someone who's a master at what they do, you know, it, what do they say? You have to work 10,000 hours in a, in a certain field in order to be a, a master. He is more than a master as an actor and a, a performer. And it's just beautiful to see him talk about experiences and what he's um, learned and all the while just saying, I I just wanted to make a living in this business. He wasn't talking about wanting to be famous or winning the award or, you know, reaching to any spectacular heights, although he has, his career's quite prolific, but that was never his goal. goal. It's not that he's just made mastery in his career. It seems as though he's made mastery in his life. And he, he just has this perspective, you know, it's like what he was saying about give it, give it away. He does it not just on stage, always treats everyone with such respect and yes. And the honesty and the, and I think that the comfort level you have to have and the security that you have and the, the self mastery that you have to have to be so honest and be so transparent and be so generous and grateful is a very rare quality. Do you know the roomy poem, the guest house? I don't. Oh God, it's, I mean, I don't want to read the whole thing, but it's, um, it basically says how you have to treat every moment and every emotion that comes into your life as a guest coming to your house and you open the door for it and you allow it to sweep through your house, no matter if it's joy or grief or, um, sadness or loneliness, whatever the emotion and the experience is, you allow it to sweep through your house. Sometimes the guests will come to your house and take everything from you, take all your furniture and sweep your house bare. And what you have to do is say, I've made space for something new. And it's this wonderful poem, which I'm, you know, of course, just paraphrasing, but he seems to be in that space in his life with everything that's happened to him. And yet he has grace and he opens the door and he allows it to sweep through. Again, you look at this human who has had an extraordinary career, who is jubilant on stage, who it seems as though he's giving every ounce of his being to the audience when he is acting, accepting an award in a tuxedo and looking handsome and and so alive. And then he starts to share what's happening in his personal life. And you just never know what's going on in other people's houses Mm. behind the doors. Mm -hmm. You just don't know. And I know we've spoken a lot about, you know, being kind because you don't know what your neighbor is going through. If if you know what you're going through and there are lots of trials and um, hardships right now, just assume that your neighbor is also dealing with a whole host full of, of difficulties, especially now, especially, especially now. now. Over, the, over the last couple of years, everything that everyone's been through. And it's just that perspective, you know, you just have to have that perspective, which is why I love traveling. Like when we traveled this summer, you go and you get this perspective that you hopefully carry back with you and to remind yourself when you, when you are in that mode of comparing your life to other people's lives or, or, 
or coveting something or wanting something or thinking someone's life is so this or so that, or or even judging people for their mistakes or their errors. You get a perspective and it's so important to try to keep that with you. Like, you know, you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what happened to them yesterday or this morning. And you have to try to, like you said, just be kind, just be kind. Right. I think I have a tendency, um, but perhaps putting on blinders, not judging my neighbor, not losing patience or tolerance with my neighbors, but getting blinders to where my life is the the focal point. As mm-hmm. you know, I think that's a normal human tendency. But if you're stuck in there and only concentrating on the difficulties of your day, the whatever of your life, that the, the of your travel to school to work to it's, you got to take off those blinders and say, we're all doing this together. And if we look at it in that way, it will go easier, smoother for all of us. Right. That's the perspective thing, right? It's so easy to get trapped in your own thought patterns and stuff. Yeah. But anyway, that was really lovely. It was enlightening. It really was enlightening. Well, Mary Lee, I'm grateful for you. Same here, baby. Same here. I love you. I love you too. Have a great day. You too. Bye, everybody. So if this episode resonated with you, please follow, subscribe, and share. You can always find us at stagespodcast.net. A big thank you goes out to our assistant and doer of all things technical, Saren Cho. Thank you to Noah Kaiserman and Garrett Healy for our beautiful original music, Melanie Von Trapp for our Stages Podcast logo, Brock Grenfeld, our sound engineer, and Allison Arns, our PR and social media expert. And thank you, our cast members, for joining us today. We hope you come back next week.